at the beginning of most every one of our worship services, we confess our sin. And I have to say that some people have told me they think that's kind of a downer, and they aren't a big fan of it. And you know, maybe I can see their point. I mean, we want you, when you worship with us, to want to come back again. So to start with asking you to think of all the ways you failed, all the things you've done wrong, about how you were born into sin, well, it goes against the grain of our culture, to say the least. We're about feeling good about ourselves, but apparently at Silverdale Lutheran, we are not about that. But I love that part of the service, and here's why. If I'm honest, I don't measure up. I yell at my kids. I sit in front of Netflix for hours on end and ignore the people I love and the things I should be doing. I don't share with others as much as I should. I'm a glutton. I'm full of pride. And when I confess and receive Jesus' forgiveness, oh, it lightens my heart and gives me joy. Because even though I don't deserve the love and forgiveness of Jesus, I keep on receiving it every time I ask. And it's amazing. And I love starting worship, remembering who I am and how Jesus loves me in spite of my sinful ways. It inspires me to want to do better. These days in the world we are living in, I'm finding that I'm needing to get down on my knees and confess some things that are, quite frankly, a lot harder to confess than the fact that I'm addicted to Netflix. I confess that I am a racist. In my mid-twenties, I lived in Washington, D.C., I came from North Dakota and Minnesota where most people looked pretty much like me and it took me aback to feel what it was like to be the minority for the first time in my life. But I told myself, I don't look at skin color. I see everyone as God's child. But I found that I was a little scared in my neighborhood and so I decided to try an experiment to help me remember that everyone was my neighbor. One day I was walking down the street to the metro and I decided to start saying hi to the people I walked by. So I was walking along and I saw a white man approaching and he seemed like the perfect test case. He walked past me and I cheerfully said, hello. His response, well, I can't say it, but it started with a B and was accompanied by a scowl. I knew I was a racist when he said that because I chose him to say hi to because I thought he's white. He's like me. Surely he will be safe. I judged him by the color of his skin and expected more of him. And the experience also made me realize how much I benefit from being white. I expect to be treated with respect by those I reach out to. It humbled me for sure. Oh, this time we are living in, I don't know about you, but it has driven me to my knees. It's made me take a look at things I believe and I don't always like what I see. It has made me weep 
for George Floyd and his family and others who have lost their lives senselessly. It has made me weep for our country whose divisions have been laid bare for all the world to see. When Jesus and the other New Testament writers talk about what it means to be a disciple, humility is the most often named trait. Some of the most moving videos I've seen have been of police officers and protesters kneeling down together. They are humbly coming together to confess their sin. They are remembering that all of us have sinned and fallen short. All of us are in need of Jesus' grace and forgiveness. All of us have played a role in injustice, whether we realize it or not. This isn't an easy thing to say, but confession is the first step when you come before Jesus. It is foundational for being a disciple, and you can't fake it. But it is never easy, and it really isn't easy when we are living in times that are so divisive and hard. Because I don't know about you, but when I feel attacked, my tendency is to dig in and claim my own rightness or righteousness. But disciples are driven to their knees first. Our Bible lessons for today were short and to the point. In Matthew's gospel, a lot is said without saying a lot. Right away, Matthew lets us know that his times were divisive and hard too. It says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. If you remember, Jesus had called 12 disciples, but just a couple of days before, after selling Jesus off to be killed, Judas had killed himself. So they're left with 11, and Matthew doesn't sugarcoat this fact. He names it. 11 are left. These are fallible people who mess up. They're going to where Jesus told them to go on the advice of some women who came to the empty tomb. They haven't seen Jesus, but they listened to the story of those women who were never, ever listened to in Jesus' day. And because of their story, the disciples go. It's interesting because just before this in Matthew, we learn that a scheme is afoot to discredit the disciples. People have been paid off to say that the disciples stole the body, so no one will believe that Jesus actually rose. But somehow, scared as they are, beleaguered as they were, they listen to the command to go and they find themselves on a mountain with Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, you often have to go, even if you're scared and you really don't want to go. It's interesting. When Jesus appeared, you heard it read that they worshiped Jesus, but some doubt it. And most scholars agree now that that is an incorrect translation, according to the oldest Greek sources. There is no but. The word is an and. So what it says is they worshipped and they doubted. 
which is so fitting for Matthew, where the nickname Jesus gives the disciples is, O ye of little faith. Where being a disciple who goes where they aren't sure they're going and who goes while doubting all the way where that's okay and even part of the deal. I can relate. It is hard these days to have faith that things will be okay, to trust that God is in control, to know that when we repent, Jesus gets his hands dirty in our lives, creating us anew to be his children in this world. I believe it, and I really doubt that it could possibly be true. But in spite of their doubt, in spite of their diminished numbers, they are again told to go, and their commission to make disciples of all nations, to baptize and teach, the same commission is given to all of the disciples. Jesus doesn't say, Matthew, you're the best teacher you teach, or Bartholomew, you take care of the money. No, Jesus lumps them together with the same mission, to share his love and forgiveness with a world in need. I have to say one wonders if that was a very good idea. I mean, they don't have their acts together at all. One would think Jesus might have been a little more selective, but he chooses them. And Jesus chooses you. Today is Holy Trinity Sunday. And one of the things, the fact that God is triune, one God in three persons, one of the things that shows us is that God in God's very being, is a God of relationship. The whole story of the Bible can be summed up by saying God will do anything to make us his people, even sending his son. God is a God of relationship. And when we were baptized into the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we were brought into that relationship with God and with the world so that I can look at a protester and say, you are my sister. I can look at a police officer and say, you are my brother. I can look at the president and say, he is my brother. I can look at a family shattered by grief and say, you are my family. I can look at a people who cry out, no more, and say, we are one in the Spirit of God. It is into this world that we are called to go. Now, I would venture to guess that when you hear those words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and you hear me say that Jesus is talking to you, you might feel like I do, not at all up to the task. In fact, you probably feel like I do that you pretty much will never do it, and you just kind of want to go back and watch some more Netflix. But here's the deal. Don't make it so complicated. Remember those beleaguered disciples who were full of doubt, but they went out. They had only the word of some women, but they went to the mountain. They weren't given any special powers by Jesus. They only had his word, and his word told them to go. 
I want to ask you today where Jesus might be calling you to go. Is it to read a book by someone you might not agree with? Is it to ask for forgiveness from someone or to offer your forgiveness to someone? Is it to get down on your knees and confess your sin? Is it to give a hug, shed a tear, donate to a cause? Is it to listen, really listen? I have to say that when you go, you might say the wrong thing. You will probably feel like an idiot. You might doubt that you could possibly have anything to offer. You might even be angry. But that's okay. Jesus still tells you to go. My favorite thing about the book of Matthew is how it starts and ends with the same words. At the very beginning, when the angel visited Joseph, he was told to name Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus' very last words to us are, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's why we can go. Because we don't go alone. We aren't going to win this battle because it has already been won. Jesus defeated death. Jesus, through the mystery of the Trinity, has made us all black, brown, white, yellow, red, and every color in between into his body. Jesus says to us, imperfect though we are, go. You can do hard things because I will be with you always. So go. Help us, Lord Jesus. Lead us, Lord Jesus. Amen.